story one chapter eleven of the dwarf's chamber and other stories by fergus hume this librivox recording is in the public domain story one chapter eleven alehouse gossip it was with some depression of spirits that warwick set about writing to autolycus as the request of lord lelanro had suggested an unpleasant train of thought the young man laboured under the disadvantage of a too vivid imagination and notwithstanding that he had evidence to the contrary he began to fancy that his patron suspected him of imposture else why should he desire to see autolycus with whom he had nothing in common and why should celia who heretofore had smiled on him now wrinkle her brow with disdain on these grounds warwick thought that the days of fatness were at an end nevertheless he was satisfied that autolycus would substantiate his apparently impossible story on all points and he had no hesitation in requesting the showman's presence at the manor-house provided that the interview proved satisfactory and warwick had no fears on that score he would be once more restored to favour the silly fellow never for a moment reflected that lelanro was as kindly as ever for the single frown of celia had caused him to look on all else with a jaundiced vision but then he was a lover and as such was hardly responsible that warwick who did not lack sense should surrender himself so entirely to celia within the short space of three weeks may seem strange to those who believe that love is a comfortable feeling born of lengthy companionship but such sober folk are wrong in their estimate which reduces love to a mere domestic liking were it so romeo had never loved juliet antony had never been thrall to cleopatra paris had left sparta unaccompanied by helen for love the true love grows like jonah's gourd in a single night and of such complexion was the passion of warwick for the disdainful celia a single glance of her eyes had laid him low at her feet and there he struggled a helpless captive to her charms love o'erleaps all obstacles regards as nothing the barriers of caste the landmarks of wealth so warwick under the influence of the divinity already cherished a mad hope that some day he might marry his angel he was not yet satisfied that she returned his devotion he was aware of his unsatisfactory position of his lack of worldly gear and the precarious nature of his employment yet with the vivid imagination of two-and-twenty already he saw himself her husband he had by this time reached the stage of calling celia her as though she were the only woman in the world now he was informed by lelanro that a kinsman was coming on the scene doubtless some handsome london spark who would win the heart of celia and not regard him poor dependent as he was even as a rival bitterly did warwick blame himself that he had not sought out ballard and learned what he could of his birth and position should he prove to be heir to a great name or to a wealthy estate he might hope to oppose equal worldly advantages to this interloping edgar then the rivalry between them would be more equable and it would rest with the best man to win the prize of celia's hand 
when therefore warwick posted the letter to autolycus he repaired to the lelanro arms with the intention of questioning mistress sally concerning her namesake in london she might be some connection and if so she would know probably if he had returned from abroad nay more if she were kin to ballard of london it was not unreasonable to suppose that she might know somewhat of his secrets and thus afford warwick the information he needed all this however was vague and warwick halted before the hospitable inn without any clear plan of action in his head in the porch stood mistress sally as fair and fat as ever with cherry-coloured ribbons to her cap and a broad smile of welcome on her rosy face already the news had reached dalesford that my lord's new secretary was none other than the handsome fiddler and mistress sally curtsied to the ground to show her reverence for warwick's newly acquired gentility i am pleased to see you again sir said she ushering him into a bright little parlour will you not try the ale you liked so on your last visit surely dame answered warwick taking a seat it was for a chat and a tankard of that very ale that i came hither i have not forgotten your kindness mistress sally la now cried the gratified landlady dear heart ye were as welcome to bit and sup as the flowers in may bide ye here master warwick and i'll bring ye a pot of the best she bustled out of the room swelling visibly with pride at being so honoured and warwick left to himself leaned out of the casement looking across the village green at the quaint stone cross it was but two months since he had last beheld it yet within those eight weeks what changes had taken place in his fortunes then he had been a penniless tramp with no prospects now he had an assured position and a chance of gaining name and fortune and it may be should matters continue thus prosperous a charming and high-born wife from the window he turned to the mantel-shelf drawn thither by that silver-framed portrait which had excited his curiosity on a former occasion there she smiled sweet and fair a very angel in a white dress and with a rapid glance at the door to see that it was closed warwick hastily pressed the portrait to his lips as he could not kiss the original there was at least some pleasure in caressing the counterfeit he had just time to replace the picture in its former position when buxom mistress sally re-entered with ale and victuals a bite of bread and cheese sir said she setting down the tray tis a long walk to the great house and you a growing lad don't you think it is time i stopped growing at two-and-twenty ma'am sit down mistress sally and while i eat you talk i remember we so divided the labour at our last meeting ay mr warwick nodded the landlady taking a chair and placing two plump hands on her knees i mind me of that and now you've met your friends in london oh i knew it was your jest sir to pass as a fiddler warwick laughed and did not undeceive her she evidently thought that he had become acquainted with lord lelanro in london and as he did not wish her to know of his sojourn in the dwarf's chamber he held his peace advisedly nothing loath the garrulous landlady rattled on i'm real glad sir that you gave over that foolishness a handsome young gentleman like you has no need to tramp through rain and mud but i saw you were of the gentry the moment i set eyes on your bonny face oh yes mr warwick 
added she complacently smoothing her apron i have not lived in the great house for naught sir now i live there myself mistress sally it is odd that it should be so lord lelanro is a kind friend to me and so is uh, miss celia a sweet young lady is she not mr warwick they do say she is to wed with mr winyard wed wed with whom stammered warwick turning pale dear heart the turn you gave me then replied mistress sally laying a fat hand on her comfortable bosom why with mr edgar to be sure sir he is her cousin and heir to my lord so the marriage will bring the two lines together why la sir you are as pale as a gooseberry just sip the ale there's a dear man this news which confirmed warwick's worst anticipations moved him not a little and it was with some difficulty that he recovered his self-control but he knew that mistress sally was inquisitive and a gossip so anxious to give her no opportunity of making mischief he hastily took a deep draught of ale and covered his dismay by a forced laugh it will be an excellent match miss sally said he with the colour returning to his cheeks and no doubt will take place soon mr winyard comes to the manor next week why there now smiled the landlady delighted at the piece of news if we won't have a wedding before the year grows older though indeed sir she added changing her tone i had rather the groom was yourself than mr edgar you do not like him then said warwick his heart beating violently at hearing his dearest thoughts put into words why no sir replied mistress sally reluctantly it isn't for me to speak against the family but mr edgar is not a pleasant gentleman and the lelanros have quite enough trouble without adding more to it instinctively warwick knew that she referred to the fairy curse and to the dwarfs but mindful of his promise to lelanro he showed no signs of such knowledge nevertheless he could not help wondering how mistress sally had heard of the secret and artfully strove to draw her out on the subject what trouble have the lelanros mistress sally the landlady turned away her face and replied in an altered voice as you live in the great house mr warwick you must be as wise as i indeed i am not dame then it is not for me to speak sir a still tongue makes many friends as the good parson told us only last sunday seeing that she was obstinately determined on silence warwick tried another method to extract information he put into words a thought which had haunted his brain ever since that momentous interview with lelanro i suppose mistress sally it is certain that mr winyard will inherit the estates oh of course sir why should he not asked the landlady with some confusion lord lelanro has no other offspring i suppose questioned warwick keeping his eyes on her embarrassed face his son the honourable louis lanro was killed in the hunting-field sir and left miss celia there was no boy of that marriage was louis lelanro the only son dear heart cried mistress sally rising from her seat with affected surprise every one knows that he was the only son this was an evasive reply capable of being read in two ways warwick noted the ambiguity but fearful of letting his own knowledge of the lelanro secret escape him he did not further question the landlady with a laugh he changed the conversation and brought up the topic about which he had called 
your name is ballard is it not he asked abruptly sarah ballard sir spinster and landlady of the lelanro arms have you a relative in london to warwick's surprise the face of the woman went grey and gasping for breath she was forced to resume her seat yes sir she said at length looking inquisitively at warwick i had a brother walter ballard but he is dead dead echoed warwick who saw with dismay his cloud-built castles tumbling about his ears oh, yes sir he died six months ago in italy of the cholera here was a blow the only man who could tell him anything was gone and now it seemed hopeless to think that he would be able to learn the secret of his birth from these dismal thoughts he was recalled by the voice of the landlady how did you know i had a brother in london sir asked mistress sally sharply oh i heard it at the manor replied warwick after a pause he did not think it wise to trust this garrulous old lady with his secret ah sighed mistress sally with great relief maybe i thought you might have heard heard what dame nothing sir nothing my poor brother is dead and gone what ill he did is buried with him with that she left the room and warwick struck by her strange speech finished his ale thoughtfully evidently she did not wish to talk about her brother and from the expression of her face when his name was mentioned apparently she retained no pleasant recollections of him indeed it seemed as though mistress sally also had her secret and was as jealous of its preservation as were the lelanros of their own utterly bewildered by the attitude of the ordinarily genial landlady warwick left the room to take his leave in the distance he caught a glimpse of mistress sally with an observant eye but when he glanced in her direction she disappeared with affected carelessness he slipped out of the inn across the green and again noted the cherry-coloured ribbons at the window she avoids me she watches me he thought walking briskly homeward on what fresh mystery have i stumbled i shall tell all to price and ask his counsel End of chapter 11